Good morning. I'd like to welcome you to church this morning. Please stand and join us. Get up here, Kingsley, as we sing our praises to God.
may be seated. I'd like to invite our ushers forward as we give back to God through our tithes and offerings.
Please be seated. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you today for your grace and mercy to us. We thank you for the work of your Holy Spirit in us that you call us your children. You make us your children. We live as your children. Thank you. As your children, we come to you, our Father, with the burdens and the concerns, the needs, the struggles of our lives. And we lay them before you, knowing that you hear us. And that you are at work when we see it and when we don't. We thank you, Father, that that in those burdens, the burdens of grief, the burdens of loss and of pain, the burdens of disease and illness, the burdens of, of financial concerns, the burdens about the future, the burdens of our relationships, Lord, as we give them to you, we do so knowing that you are the healer and the restorer and you're trustworthy. We thank you. Father, this morning we think not only about ourselves, but we think about others around us as well. We thank you for your grace upon this Amish family that had an accident a couple of weeks ago and, and the recovery and that the and yet, Lord, there are concerns, continued recovery, there are financial concerns. We pray that you would would help this family. Thank you that you've, been, you've given us resources as a church to be of assistance. And we pray that they will know the blessing of others helping them as well. We pray for churches around us. Today we pray for the United Church of Friendship. Pastor Kirsch, may your grace be evident in this body of believers as they worship you and serve you. And serve their community and beyond. Father, we think of our larger world. Refugees, people caught in the crossfire of war and violence. People facing, recovering from natural disasters and tragedies. May your grace be present and evident in each circumstance. Father, we pray for our nation We pray, Father, that you will help us as a nation at this time when we feel so divided. In a world that feels so divided. And we are tempted to look at every person as either for us or against us. Either a friend or an enemy. And yet we hear you calling us to see one another as neighbors. As neighbors to be loved and forgiven. As neighbors to be supported cared for as neighbors to be treated as children of God. Father, let your people, your church, be a presence of of love and peace and grace in the midst of all of this divisiveness. And Father, we pray for your church around the world We think today of the church in Iran, such a difficult place to be a Christian, to be a church leader. As these four pastors have just been sentenced to more than 40 years combined in prison, we pray, Father, that you will intervene. Give them courage in the midst of this this struggle. Give their church courage. May they and others around them see your miraculous power at work. And we pray that you will once again do what you are the master of doing, bringing good out of what is intended for evil. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. We offer them in the strong and powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, remembering the prayer that he taught his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. 
And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I invite you to stand, if able, for today's scripture reading. Today's reading comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, verses 1 to 13. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, Don't bother me, the door is already locked, and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness... He will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to him and to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. Before you're seated, let me invite you to uh, share a word of greeting with others here in worship today. Introduce yourself to someone you may not know. couple things I want to mention to you. There are in the pew rack in front of you some uh, connection sheets. If you have a question for one of us, uh, one of the staff, or if you'd like to know more about something, something you want us to pray about, uh, any way you want to connect with us, just fill out one of those sheets. We've already taken the offering, but you can just leave it in the pew and we'll we pick them up after each service. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. If there's an address change you have or you want, to, you want us to have that, if you want to get information from us, just you can fill out those sheets. And I'll leave those in the pew. I want to remind you about Koinonia tonight, 7 o'clock in the chapel. Uh, it's been a couple of great weeks already of beginning with worship and uh, coming together. And we hope you'll be a part of that this evening as well. And uh, the other thing is nursery. Uh, this is the last day to sign up if you want to work in the nursery, if you haven't already. There's some sheets on the back table and the schedule will be made in the next couple of days. So again, if you'd like to do that, just uh, fill out a sheet and there's a... There's a form from the table. You can leave them there and we'll get them to the right people. How many of you would consider yourselves competitive about playing games? Oh, come on. Everybody else is afraid to say it. I know how it is. You know... uh, The worst thing about playing games when you're competitive is that there are people you play with that aren't competitive. You know, they drive you crazy because, you know, you want to win and they're like, yeah, whatever, we're here to have a good time. No, we're not here to have a good time. We're here to win. (laughs) Right? I mean, why are you doing this? This is not social hour. This is win the game hour. You know, we've had some, you know, as a child even, you know, our family, very competitive game players. And there are a lot of stories that I could tell you that I won't. That would embarrass me and the other members of my family. So I won't do that. But, you know, we, 
we can be very competitive about playing games. And I was reading recently about a woman who was a competitive game player. She, she considered herself that, took it very seriously, and she was playing Pictionary with some friends. You know that game, you pull a card, it has a, something on it, and you try to draw a picture of it, and you draw and then your team tries to guess what it is you're drawing. And so she was doing that. She picked up a card, and the card said, Difficult. Wow. How do you draw difficult? You know, normally the word is like tomato or chicken or, you know, church or chihuahua or something. But, you know, difficult. And she said, she's really good at this game. And for 60 seconds, while the timer clicked, tick, 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 she just stood there looking at that card and had absolutely nothing. And her team's going, come on, draw something. And she's nothing. I got nothing. And she got to the end. The timer went off and she said, How ironic, it is so difficult to draw the word difficult. And then she realized that the card she had picked up was not one of the cards for drawing. It was one of the instruction cards. (laughs) You know, these are easy and these are difficult. No wonder. He said she found, she realized how hard it is to draw the impossible. To draw something that's really undrawable. And the minute I read that, I thought to myself, I think sometimes we think that about prayer. I think that's how it feels sometimes. You know, we, we pray, we think about praying, and, and we feel like sometimes I think I've got a handle on praying, and then it's like it all just jumps out of the box. We, we think we have some things figured out, and then we read something else, we hear something else, and the question pops into our mind, and it feels like we don't know anything. And we wrestle with this and we know something inside of us knows that praying is important. We know that it's something that Christians do. But we wrestle with exactly what does it mean to pray? What does prayer look like? How do we pray? What's going on when we pray? What is God doing when we pray? And we have all these questions and a lot of them feel very open-ended. And yet prayer is vital. To being a follower of Jesus. And so that's why over the next few weeks, next couple months, we're going to be thinking about prayer. Now, when we get to the end of it, we won't be able to say, okay, I've got prayer figured out. We're all done. But rather think of it more like the facets of a diamond. And as we go along, we're we're going to think about different facets of that diamond. And... Hopefully, as we move forward and as we get through this, while we may learn a few things about prayer, what we really want to do is to become people whose life is more absorbed in prayer. And so when we get to the beginning of November, we're going to once again engage ourselves in a three-week 24-7 prayer vigil. And we'll talk more about that as we go along. And so today I want to talk about Luke 11, and I want to start there because it feels like everything we know and learn about prayer begins there. In the beginning of this, of chapter 11 of Luke, he says, Once Jesus was in a certain place praying, and as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. It's fascinating to me that that is the only thing that Scripture records the disciples asking Jesus to teach them, to pray. You would think the Scriptures would say that they would say, Lord, teach us to preach. Lord, teach us to understand the Scripture. Lord, teach us to do miracles. Lord, teach us how to know how to handle the Pharisees. Teach us how to cast out demons. All good things, important things, a part of the ministry of Jesus. But the only thing Scripture records the disciples asking Jesus to teach them is to pray. And the reason they ask him is because they have watched Jesus pray. That question doesn't arise out of nowhere. Luke says one day Jesus got done praying and the disciples are so impressed with Jesus praying, so enamored with Jesus praying that they say to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. We know it's important, but we're struggling, just like you and me. We know it's important, but we're struggling. One of the fascinating things to me about this question is that there's something in the back of our minds that says to us, 
How do you learn to pray? Don't you just pray? Don't you just pray to God? And and to think about learning to pray feels like it's confining our prayers. It feels like it's boxing in our prayers. It feels like, because prayer feels like it should just sort of come out of us. It should just be spontaneous. It should just be something that bubbles up from us. And it does sometimes. But Jesus' answer to their question is not, oh, come on, you can't learn to pray. You just do it. No, his answer is, okay, I'll teach you to pray. Because the reality is anything that's important to us, we learn how to do it. You want to know how to, you want to learn how to play the guitar, either to begin with or to play better than you do? You practice. You take lessons. You watch videos. You talk to people. If it's important to learn to play the guitar, you give yourself to learning to play the guitar. If you want to know how to make the perfect cheesecake, you give your time and energy to making the perfect cheesecake. And you invest practice in doing it, and you, you, know, you go through all the ones that weren't perfect, and you get rid of those, and you center until you keep getting better and better, and you watch, and you talk, and you listen, and you invest yourself, because it's important to you. And I think Jesus is saying to us, if prayer is important to you, then you learn something about it. You invest yourself in it. It becomes something that you read about and you think about and you invest yourself in learning about it because it's important. And the truth of the matter is prayer is one of those learned spiritual disciplines. Is it sometimes spontaneous? Of course it is. But it's also something that should be a part of our lives that we learn and we invest ourselves in because it's important to us. And so Jesus says, here's the first lesson. Here's what you pray. And he says to them a form of what we just prayed a few moments ago. And that's the reason we did that. He says, this is how you should pray. Or this is what you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food we need. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't lead us, let us yield to temptation. The Lord's Prayer, we call it. And this prayer is, is a model it's a model for, for praying. Now, is it, is it magic? No. There are sometimes, sometimes you get the feeling that people say this prayer sort of as a magic incantation. If I say these words, then I'm good. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's simply saying, here is a pattern. Here is a form. Here is some structure to praying. Glenn Stossen in his book, Living the Sermon on the Mount, says that, that this prayer breaks down really to about our relationship with God, which is really why prayer is so important to us, is because it breaks, it's about our relationship to God. And he says this beginning part acknowledges who God is, the greatness of God. And then he says, Lord, we acknowledge that and we acknowledge that we want your kingdom to come. Whatever your kingdom is, that's what we want. Bring it. And we want to thank you, God, for how you supply our needs, like our daily bread and all the little things that come about that we need to exist. And Father, we thank you for forgiving us. Let us be people who forgive others. And Father, keep us from sin because you know how easily we give in to it. And so you have this prayer that really takes in all the elements of life, of our relationship with God, our relationship with each other. And Jesus says, this is what you ought to be praying about. Anything and everything, in essence. And I suspect the disciples are look at him and say, this is great, thank you, that's all we needed to know. We've got a formula, it's like John's disciples have a formula. We've got a model, we can use this now. And they put away, they close their notebooks, they put away their pens, and they're ready to go to the next city. And Jesus says, hold on, I'm not done yet. And he says, now, verse, verse 5 says, Jesus wanted to teach them more about prayer. And so he tells them the story. This is one of those parables, one of those stories that we read and go, I think I know what that's about, but I'm not sure. And there are a lot of theories about it. But the little bit of background is that this, this is a story that really makes sense in the context of the hospitality culture of first century Palestine. 
when a, when a person came to a village, it was expected that the village would take care of them. It was expected that the village would feed them and house them and take care of their needs because that's your reputation. And for them to go away from a village that did not give them that kind of hospitality would be a smear on the reputation of every single person in that village. And so this guy comes to his friend's house and it's late, it's midnight, and he's hungry. No McDonald's, no Chick-fil-A along the highway. He just, you know, there's nothing, nowhere to go, nothing to eat. And he arrives and he's been a long journey. He needs something to eat. And Jesus says, the neighbor says, I don't have any food. And so he says, I don't know what to do here. Because the only alternative is to go to my other neighbor and say, hey, I don't have any food. I know it's crazy and I'm embarrassed to admit it, but I need some help. I'm trying to think of how we could connect that with our culture. It struck me, it reminded me of when I was in college. I worked in the summers in a sawmill out in Oregon. And it was a great job. I liked the work. It was, it was interesting to watch logs start out just out of the forest and end up two by fours. And, uh, you know, and it paid well. I could work for a summer and pay off my entire school bill. For the next year. So what good paying job. And um, yeah. You're like, Boy I'd like to have that job. Uh, but but I, had the, and I had the lowest job in the mill. My job was to clean up the mill. After a second shift left. So I come to work at 10 at night. Second shift would work. Be working a few hours. We'd be cleaning up different places. And then we'd work all the rest of the night. Cleaning the mill. Getting ready for first shift to come in at 6. And we were watchmen. You know, we were the walk around to make sure there were no fires and nobody wanted to steal things because we were such an imposing presence. I was at least, you know, among these people who might want to take something. I inquired about having a sidearm, but they decided not that wouldn't be a good idea for me to have that. But So we're, we're doing this work, and every so often, if somebody would call in sick to first shift, and the foreman would come to us and say, hey, one of you guys want to work a double shift today? Well, I always jumped at that because not only was it just more money, but it was time and a half. And so that was good money, better money. But it was usually grunt work, the worst work in the mill, and it usually ended up on the green chain. And this is a picture of a green chain. The logs are they're cut into boards. They're cut different lengths. They come down this chain, and you've got two or three people along the chain, and they're pulling off the boards at certain intervals and certain sizes and shapes and things and putting them on carts and have to be on the cart just right so they can be bound, bundled up, and then taken away by a forklift. And they always put... Those guys who were not regularly part of that at the worst part of the green chain, which is at the end where all the heaviest, biggest, longest pieces of wood were. And so this wood would come down and struggling to get it onto the right cart because you got about six or seven different carts. So you're putting these things on and they have to be done in the right way. And I'm struggling to get them on. And the whole time, especially the first couple of times, I'm like, I don't have a clue what I'm doing here. They explained it to me, but I don't remember what I'm supposed to do. And the whole time, I'm thinking, I should be asking for help, but I don't want to ask for help because it's humiliating to ask for help. And so I'm wrestling with these boards that are five times as big as me and trying to get them off onto these carts, and they're heavy, and I'm not, you know, I'm not a real strong person, and I'm trying to get them on the right carts. And next thing you look up, and the whole chain is backed up with boards. And they have to turn off the chain and the guys come down there and they're grumbling, complaining and, you know, saying other things to me. And they get down to the end and they say, what are you doing down here? It's like, well, I don't know what to do. They said, did they help me clean up? I said, why didn't you ask us? I didn't want to look stupid. Like I didn't then, but that was a whole other thing, right? And you know what I'm talking about. You're sitting in that class. You have no idea what the professor's talking about. You're thinking, I should ask a question But you don't. Why? Because I don't want to look stupid. I don't want to be humiliated. When everybody else says, what's wrong with you? How do you not get that? You're in a meeting and everyone else is understanding what's going on and you don't. You know those scenarios. And I think there's something of that going on here. And the guy's like, I hate to admit that I don't have what I should have. It's humiliating. But Jesus says, if the friend, guy won't get up necessarily because he's a friend, but he will because he's willing to humble himself. In the translation that we read, it said boldness. Sometimes it says persistence. The actual word means shamelessness. 
And some translations use the term shameless audacity or shameless persistence. But it's really this sense of humbling ourselves and going to someone and saying, I'm needy. I need your help. I can't do this. And I think part of what Jesus is saying here is there is an essence to prayer, an attitude of prayer that says, God, I need you. And I need to humble myself to come before you and say, I need you. I can't, I can't live without you. I can't survive without you. I can't accomplish this without you. I can't be who I really deep inside want to be without you. And that is at the core of what Jesus is trying to help us understand of what it means to pray. It's the attitude in which we pray. Transparent. Humble. Admitting our neediness. In essence, coming to God and saying, Hi, I'm Wes. I'm a sinner. And God says, okay, I can do something with that. And it's this mindset about prayer. And the reason we can do that is because Jesus says it's the one to whom we're praying. It's fascinating to me that Jesus connects this sense of humility and transparency with boldness and persistence. Because in verses 9 and 10, he says, so I'm telling you, after he says the parable, he says, so I'm telling you, keep on, ask and you will receive, seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be opened to you. And the New Living Translation you see here is translating the tense of the verbs, which is keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Keep on doing it. And Jesus says, you do that boldly. You would think with the spirit of humility, we wouldn't want to be bold. We are hesitant about it because we know how needy we are. But Jesus says it's that neediness that creates the atmosphere of persistence and boldness and confidence because it's God we're asking. There's some people who interpret the parable a little bit differently. There is a sense in which the... I'm going to stop just a second. I want to, I want to pray for whoever is involved in that. Because that's something our family, our granddaughter taught us that a long time ago. That when we see, hear the siren, we should stop and pray. So let's just pray a moment. Father, we don't know what this need is. But you do. We pray that you will be present in the need. We pray that you'll help those who are going to meet the need. We ask that it will be evident of your grace at work in the situation the siren's about. And we pray this through Christ. Amen. So there's some people who, who say that when you look at this parable, it, it's gotten a little bit turned through the ages. And really, this is about, this is, the story is really about the friend who's asleep. That's the key character in the story. Because you know what? We could come to our next door neighbor and admit our need and they don't do anything about it. But Jesus is saying, can you imagine going to a neighbor and admitting your need and them not getting up and helping you? And every single person in the crowd would be saying, I can't imagine that. And Jesus says, if that's how you treat each other, how much more your father in heaven? And so you get to the end of this and he says, He says, keep on seeking, keep on asking, keep on knocking because of God. He's good. And that also, knowing that that's the central focus of it, keeps us from seeing this knocking, seeking, asking from being some kind of of magical formula we use to get what we want. Because sometimes people interpret it that way. They come out and say, look, if you ask, God's got to help you find it. If you seek, you're going to get it. If you knock, God's going to open the door and and." That's the only, God has to do it. And it becomes this magical formula for manipulating God. But what if the point of that is not that it gets us to a result, but the point Jesus is making is all about the reason. Maybe what he's really saying is, look, if you never seek, how will you ever find? If you never ask, how will you ever receive? If you never knock, why would the door be open to you? And often our struggle with praying is that we don't really believe God is who he says he is. And that struggle keeps us from asking and seeking and knocking because we are afraid 
of God. Jesus says, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more God loves you? All of us have some connection to children. Our own children, grandchildren, nieces, nephews, maybe a sibling, you have younger siblings, maybe it's the neighborhood kid that you babysat through the years. Somebody, we all have connections to children. And it's, it's fun to do good things for children. It's fun to watch their faces light up when you give them even the smallest gift. And Jesus says, if you love doing that, try to imagine how much more your father loves doing that for you. Knowing who God is is the greatest obstacle in our prayers. A misunderstandings about God keep us from praying with this sense of transparency and vulnerability and honesty because we're afraid of how God's going to answer our prayers. We're not really sure that God is good. And so we hesitate and we're reluctant. And Jesus says, you don't need to be. One of my professors in seminary says he used to play a game when his kids were little. He'd come home from work and he'd put some pennies in his hand and he'd squeeze his hand tight and his children would all gather around and they would work with all their might to pry open his fingers. And they'd just be you know, prying and working, starting on the outside and they'd all work together and some of them, you know, two or three little hands on one finger trying to get that finger open. They'd work and work and work and it became this great game. And when they get his hand open, they'd grab those pennies and run through the house shouting and cheering and thinking this is the greatest thing in the world. Look what we got. He said, you know, I think sometimes that's how we see God in our prayers. We sometimes think that praying is prying open the fingers of God to give us what we want that he doesn't really want us to have. The truth is, God is in front of us with his hands open and his arms wide. Saying, all I want to do is what's good for you. And sometimes it doesn't feel like it. But that's because we have such a limited perspective of what it means to get good. What it means for us to experience good things. And God has such a bigger perspective and a wider perspective and a purer perspective of good. The bottom line as we talk about prayer is that we can come to God in prayer. And the one thing that we learn about prayer is that God is good and we can trust him with anything and everything. And how do we know? How do we know that this is who God is? Well, perhaps the clearest evidence of it is this table. Because at this table, we see the links to which God's willing to go to show us how good he is and how deeply he loves us. This is God. And it speaks to us of what God has done in the past us. It speaks to us of all the promises that God has for us in the future in this table. And my prayer for us is that as we come and, and we eat and drink, that we will be touched anew with the goodness of God. That He loves us. And He loves us to pray. And he loves us to come to him just as any father loves for their children to come to them. And infinitely more. Father, we thank you for your grace to us. We thank you that you want relationship with us and connecting with us. And we thank you for the gift of prayer. Open our eyes to see 
Open our hearts to experience this deeper prayer. Father, we pray your blessing and anointing upon the bread and the cup. Let it be food for our souls. And let it lift our eyes to the goodness of who you are. In the name of Christ Jesus, amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. He gave thanks to the Father in heaven and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. For this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And on the same night he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples saying, drink from this all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. We are receiving communion this morning by the mode of intinction. It just means to dip in. As you're released by rose, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup, eat it. And then you may return to your seats by the outside aisles. If coming to the front is difficult for you, or if you simply prefer, we have trays of bread and cups. We're happy to serve you in your seats. Just let the usher know as your row is released. And I have gluten-free wafers here and cups. If you'd like those, just let me know as you come forward. I'd like to mention that we practice open communion at the Wesleyan Church. It might be the first time that you've ever worshipped here. But if you come today with your heart open to Christ, with the desire in your heart to know in deeper ways the nature and the character, the goodness of God, then come, receive these gifts from our gracious, loving Heavenly Father.
receive the benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen.